Welcome to episode 131 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording right here in beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Support for this episode comes from Jackson Hole Real Estate Associates, the region's largest and most dynamic real estate company in the Valley. For more information and to view current listings, visit jhrea.com. Also sponsoring this episode is Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, reminding you to reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost. Avoid using single-use products whenever possible, and remember to bring those reusable bags with you while you go shopping. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I am Stephan Clark Abrams, your host. Before I begin this week's episode, I want to say thank you to all of my regular listeners, Mr. Charlie Schinkel, and all of my new listeners. Please get out there and share this podcast with someone you know, and get out there and give us a rating so others can enjoy it just like you. My mission is to bring you fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. The people sharing their stories are the same people we see each day, walking down the street, or sitting in a coffee shop drinking a good cup of coffee. I feel we all have a story to share, and I want to bring you stories which you will connect with and add good energy to your day. Sharing stories allows us all to learn and grow, so we may all live full lives. My guest today is Dr. Glenn Burnett. He's really my doctor, too. Father, a husband who has a background in classical literature and classical history. The recording today with Dr. Burnett has some quality issues because I made a mistake during the recording. I didn't turn on the right mic. I apologize for the sound quality, but I do assure you the content of today's interview will have you appreciate history and the importance of why you should know and understand history. Dr. Burnett discusses medical history and the relevance of the past to today. That's right, what we are living through right now. The past is documented. It is important for us as a society and country to familiarize ourselves with history, to bring perspective to our lives each day and for the future. Much has happened in the past, and much, I guarantee, will happen in the future. I ask you to take some time to think about Dr. Burnett's messaging and how you can become a better informed person. Dr. Burnett, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. Wonderful to see you today. Well, thank you for having me. I do start every episode with getting to know my guests and for the guests to share with, with us, how did you land here in Jackson Hole? What is your connection to this beautiful place that you call home? So, uh, my grandparents, uh, when I was a little kid, uh, took, we, we went on big family trips and ended up here several times. Uh, so I kind of knew that from a long time ago, uh, that this would be a, an amazing place to live. Uh, I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, uh, I went to the university of Oklahoma, uh, college of medicine, and then um, I did my residency in internship in internal medicine in uh, Dallas at uh, the University of Texas. The hospital there was Parkland Memorial Hospital, um, and that's where they took John F. Kennedy uh, the day that he was assassinated. That was the big inner city hospital there in Dallas. And my wife, um, who we actually met, it's been about... 13 years ago now, 
Uh, my wife and I met doing, believe it or not, Argentine tango. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and so she was, uh, my wife is from uh, a very remote part of China. It's called Ninxiao province. She was the one uh, little girl in her entire province that was selected to go to Xinhua University. It's their version of MIT. And she is probably 50 million times smarter than I am. <laughs> She's a, she is a PhD in engineering. And Sophia designed and helped to design the dark light rail system in Dallas. So I was, I was a physician there, uh, at, uh, at Presbyterian hospital in Dallas. And she was doing that with the dark rail system. And we had twin boys and that was in April of 2015. And Sophia and I kind of looked at each other one day and, you know, we just do not want to raise our kids here. Uh, the, it's, I think this is true of any big city in America. Uh, the kids don't play outside. Um, they're doing video games and whatever. And that's just not the life I wanted for my kids. And Sophia, her home province is basically the Montana, Wyoming of China. Oh, beautiful. And so she really wanted, she was the one who really wanted to go to the mountains. And so here we are. That was two and a half years ago. And yes, things are much different than they were in Dallas, but we're loving every minute of it. So here we are. Well, I'm glad you and Sophia found this community and are contributing and adding so much to this community. And I'm interested to know what is it like raising your children here in in Wyoming. We're not a very socially diverse um, community out out here. It's white. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Sophia. So I guess what I would say about that, um, Sophia has felt, I think, very accepted. There have been a few. Let me put it this way: everything was completely wonderful until this year. We've had a couple of incidents where people have come up to her and been, I would say, rude or hateful, but that's happened two or three times and all kind of, you could tell the person was a jerk and not, mm -hmm. and not the normal uh, situation we have here in Jackson. We have felt, I don't think the kids feel any pressure at all. I, I, I haven't noticed anything at all whatsoever. And Sophia and I, I mean, there have been several times where we've taken to the dance floor and everyone just, everyone seemed to just love it. So, you know, we had, it was at the Ward Hotel. We had, we had a lot of fun doing that. And I, I can't tell that really anything, I mean, when we're here in Jackson, I can't really tell anything, you know, is going on. I will remember one episode actually in the Rotary Club. I told, I got up in the, I, we have a little time at the beginning when we do kind of a positive thought thing. And I told her story and she was there. And I don't know that my wife has ever gotten a standing ovation. 
I don't know if you remember that or not, but I don't think I was there that day. Unfortunately, yeah. I wish I would have. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So she, and that made her feel very welcome and very comfortable. Beautiful. Well, it makes me uh, very warm inside to hear that your family has been accepted into this community. And it's so unfortunate that even during times like this, when we should have people working together with each other and bringing people together um, instead of pushing away that your wife has had to experience those types of um, interactions. Well, she's tough. <laughs> it, just, it just went right over her head. So, <laughs> you know, it, kind of, it does kind of bother her, but she, you know, she gets over it. Mm -hmm. And so apparently you guys are still da dancing. Uh, when we have the time. Well, it, now with it, twins. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're five years old and the, everything in life is kind of distorted. Mm -hmm. The whole year, this last year with COVID, we haven't really been able to dance at all. So, and you know, the, that's, we have a lot of friends back home in Dallas that are in the, in the dancing community. And that has really been one of the industries or one of the uh, jobs or things that have been really, really impacted. It's really sad. There are a lot of industries out there which have been impacted and, and it is sad. It is mm -hmm. sad. I, I look forward to the day that those industries can come back and thrive. I do too. Yeah, absolutely. And so today you have brought a few books along with you and some important information inside of a manila folder as well. And you even took the time to put some bookmarks in, in, these <laughs> in books the books as well. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so please share with us, what is it that you have brought with you today? Well, so part of my background, uh, I actually have a master's degree in classical literature and classical history. And when I was on the faculty at the medical school, at the both at the University of Texas and the University of Oklahoma, um, I spent a lot of my time doing medical history and medical ethics, along with my specialty, which was internal medicine. I have been somewhat alarmed um, this last year by just absolute gross misinformation and not really uh, being completely clear with what has happened to us as humanity before with regard to pandemics and with and I can see the stress in people and it, and it just it bothers me that we've kind of gone for the fear factor and haven't really um, been completely crystal clear with, yes, we've been here before as humanity, and it's important to know those things, you know, so we can face this better without being all panicked and upset. This top book here, this little blue book, um, it is called The Sanford Guide to Antimicrobial Therapy, and that takes me back to the first year that I was an intern in Dallas. Um, Dr. Sanford, probably one of the pioneers in infectious disease in our country in the 20th century, he was the guy that got sent out to all of the places in the world when, when things were blowing up. And when I was an intern 30 years ago, we were in the very worst parts of the last pandemic, which was AIDS. Ah. And so I kind of... 
I kind of have this, you know, I, I know what it's like to be a physician in a, in the middle of a bad pandemic. Uh, the one day in particular with Dr. Sanford on the wards, we had just had eight people die the night before. All of them were, it, this, that was a different pandemic than what we're dealing with now. All of them were 20 and 30 year old people. And he could tell that we were all upset and he put his finger up in the air and wagged it in our face. And you young guys will see the day that we'll have an airborne pandemic in this world. Hmm. He goes, I won't be here, but you will be. And you're going to have to keep it together. Uh, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to keep control of your patients and their fear and panic. Their government will fail. Their medical leadership will fail and their media will fail. It's going to be all up to you guys. And you can't, he, he was like, he was kind of chiding us for being so upset about all the stuff that was going on back then. And then in a later lecture, Dr. Sanford was talking about what he thought would happen one day. He, and he kept talking about it will be an airborne pandemic. I just hope to God it's not a coronavirus. Wow. Mm-hmm. So hmm. when you're when and that was 30 years ago, when you're when you're an expert and you know what you're talking about, I it, it is kind of amazing to go back in time and think realize, learn from what he said all those years ago. And what he was talking about, I, I think this is the one of, as far as medical history, this is the big misunderstanding that's going on. The, I even heard this on TV by a quote, medical expert, unquote, just about two weeks ago, that the hum, humanity has never had to deal with a worldwide coronavirus pandemic ever. And that is just not true. Um, that is that is absolutely not the case. And I think what I would say we so first of all, um, there was a coronavirus pandemic in in two thousand and three. Uh, that one was called SARS or SARS. It just died. It went through the first wave and it just poof disappeared. We still don't know why that happened. We don't know what happened. It, nothing that we did did it. That's for sure. There was another coronavirus pandemic. It actually, I would call that more of an epidemic because it never got going. And that was in the Middle East. That was in the about 10 years after that first, that, that SARS. And that one was just far too lethal to get going. And, and that one was called MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. It was too deadly to get going? It was too deadly to get going. It killed It killed about 30% of the people that had it. And whenever it's that deadly, it never gets, it never gets going. Interesting. This, this is why Ebola doesn't really ever get going. It kills too many people. Uh -huh. And you have to, that's the, the sweet spot is about a 1% to 3% mortality, which is what this one is right now. It's actually much less than that, but it's a pity doodah, lucky us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and it actually had. It was in the 1890s, and that's why I brought all these books because um, 
the here here's the thing that was always thought to be influenza that it was called the great russian flu of mm-hmm. eight of 1890 the problem is even when you read um, dr william osler he was the first guy that wrote an, a, a textbook in medicine when you read his book even he noticed that the symptoms weren't the same as influenza there was a lot more neuro stuff uh, fatigue headaches there was a lot more cardiac stuff. It just didn't make sense. And that that was unknown what it was until about three years ago. And I'm not going to go through all the details, but uh, genetic sequencing and mutation analysis has revealed that one of the coronaviruses that we have floating around now that caused the common cold actually came about in 1887. And that it, that was it. That was, that was the, the organism that caused that pandemic. And the thing that's important to remember, the, the reason I'm bringing all this up. So we had the SARS from about 13 or 14 years ago that just died. It just had the first wave and it just poof, disappeared, never to come back again. The one in the 1890s came back six times um, in a worldwide wave, six times. And that it, it, this went on for about 10 years. It destroyed the railroad system for the same reason we're seeing the, the airports and airplanes, you know, the, the airline industry and cruise industry. The economic panic of 1893 was the second worst depression in the in the country's history. It led it was the first blow that led directly to the development of the Federal Reserve. So there's a lot of stuff going on. In fact, it killed the British the 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 monarchy Queen Victoria's grandson who was going to be the king died from it and it, it so any it was very destabilizing. And it kept coming back. Um, the reason I have all the literature here is something that's really important in medical history is actually authors, writers were the ones who described medical syndromes long before doctors did. And if you read through the stories with Sherlock Holmes, they're scattered with references to this flu and this pandemic. And he described the symptoms perfectly. In fact, Arthur Conan Doyle had the virus. He suffered from headaches and insomnia the rest of his life. Mm. So um, the point being, so we're here right now, you know, as of February the 17th today, the case numbers all over the world are just going on a just complete downward slope everywhere. It appears to me that this is the end of the first wave of, of COVID-19. The, the, the news media is telling us it's the third or the fourth wave. That is not true. It's, this is the end of the first wave. So what's going to happen? Are we going to do the disappear trick? It's possible because that's what the last one did. Or is it going to be the come back and just keep right on going? Don't know. So that that's the thing about that's the thing about that there's an old expression in virology the virus is just going to virus hmm. they they don't they don't pay attention to us at all mm-hmm.
They don't care if you're liberal, conservative, democratic, they just don't care. And, and in the past, didn't matter what we did as humans, they just kept, they just did what they were going to do. Viruses are generous to everybody. They they are. (laughs) (laughs) They are. And that we'll see if the vaccine does anything. I, I, Mm -hmm. it's still too early to really know. So the history that which you just provided is is fascinating and intriguing. And I I agree with you that we as a society have to know our history. And it's important to know the history from different sources as well to ensure that we're all obtaining the correct history. And if we ever want to learn and grow we have to remember what history teaches us before we know how we're going to move forward in life. Absolutely. Um, that's from Sophia's culture. There is a Confucius saying uh, that, you know, this has all happened before and this will all happen again. And um, it's just important to realize what, what has happened before. So maybe we can prevent some of the tragedy that, that, that may come, come out of it. I would, I would submit, you know, one of the things I've seen as far as history in the last year, a lot of people, medical people get on TV and talk about the flu epidemic of 1918 as if that is what we should be looking at, comparing that to what's going on now. And the furthest thing from the truth, that was in the middle, uh, that was truly a four horsemen of the apocalypse event. There, there, was, there was already war, pestilence, famine, death, and plague. Those, the, I mean, that was all going on at the same time. That, that's not what we have going on now. This just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the comparison should be to the 1890s one. And not the, the 1918 flu was completely a different story. And to try to guide our response to this based on that is really not a good idea. It was not even the same thing. Well, first of all, viruses weren't even discovered um, until I think it was 1907. I can't remember the, the exact date that... Um, that we didn't even know the f- the great Spanish flu was actually an influenza until they found frozen Eskimos in Alaska, and that was just in the last twenty years. They didn't they didn't they thought it was an influenza, but we didn't have the actual viral particles, and they had they found them in frozen Eskimos. Hmm. Believe it or not. Um. Comparing that to what's going on now is just not, it's not going to be the same story. I'm interested to know some, some points that you brought up. And one of them is why is media or professionals speaking on to the media for the general public referencing the 1918 flu versus the 1890s flu? Or the 1890 pandemic, my, my, my apologies. But then also you spoke about um, for humanity and you spoke about what your professor had said that it's the news is going to fail them. The government's going to fail them. It's going to be up to you, the 
the doctors, medical, Mm -hmm. um, to get people through the next wave when something comes, the next experience. And why do we go to the negative versus finding ways to help build people up and support? So what I believe what Dr. Sanford was talking, he saw it with his own eyes. He saw what fear and panic did Mm -hmm. and, uh, how, how, destructive that could be. I'll read something about that from my dad here in a minute, but I think our news media uh, in particular feeds on scaring people to death and panic. And the 1918 flu, No, so here's the thing. Did you know about the 1890 flu before I said a word about it? I cannot recall that it has been brought up in any conversation that I've had before. And the 1918 flu is this like Godzilla that's in the back of our minds. And so nobody right now ever lived through it. That maybe a few people, maybe a few, like 110 year olds, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that it's, it's a kind of a little monster that's in the back of our minds that triggers things when we hear it, you know, fear and panic. I am certainly not a politician, but, um, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, but it, that's what sells newspapers. It's what the, it's a, it's a very strong motivating factor in our lives. I will read this from my father. Um, my father died in 2016. He was a public health officer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he was kind of the head of public uh, health, uh, outreach and, and he was in the media all the time and he, he did a lot of education and I found this, he, whenever he, he, uh, let me put it this way. We had a little crisis in 1976 that was called the swine flu. And that was a whole other problem, which I'm not going to get into, but he, had written these out on a piece of paper and I found it stuck in a picture frame whenever he passed away. And he had written out the 12 principles of public health, which I will read every day during this swine flu crisis. And number seven, public health is about trust. To gain the trust of the public, health officials and the newspapers must be honest and they must delight in the public's desire to see good done. Therefore, panic, shaming, name-calling, and most importantly, fear should never be deployed in the midst of a public health emergency by either the um, health officials or the newsmen. And then many, many years later, he had written under that, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering, and fear is the path to the dark side. And that was Jedi Master Yoda, Star Wars, 1999. Yeah. Okay. And, but that's the point is, so that is that there actually are 12 public health principles. That was from the one from the 1960s. And that was crystal clear. You don't scare people to death. That has been so watered down now that it's almost not even the same things. It's, it's just critical that we don't scare people to death. I'm with you on that one for sure. Hey, Dr. 
We're going to take a quick break to have a word from one of our sponsors, and then we will be right back to pick up where we left off. Jackson Hole Real Estate Associates is the market leader in Jackson Hole, providing every client with unparalleled professionalism and breakthrough marketing strategies. Their organization is comprised of dedicated and experienced real estate professionals, and they offer a collection of some of the most sought-after properties in the Valley. For more information on buying, selling, or market stats in Jackson Hole, visit jhrea.com or call 307-733-6060. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling would like to remind you to bring your reusable bags when you go shopping for groceries or at your favorite store around town. Reusable bags are good for the environment and your wallet. Wash your bags frequently and bag your items when possible. We've already helped remove millions of single-use bags from the waste stream. Now let's reduce the amount of paper bags purchased. Food waste composting in addition to yard waste composting is available at the transfer station facilities. Call 733-7678 for up-to-date hours of operation. Welcome back, Dr. Burnett. And I'm so fascinated by the history that I'm learning here in the past. And you were just you just read a piece which your dad had written of the twelve public health principles. And you had mentioned that there's they're watered down. Are there currently twelve principles of public health? And are they different from what you found they're, that your dad had written? Yes, they're different. Okay. They're they're still there. Uh-huh. Uh, and they were changed in twenty twelve. They're the same basic things, but it's just different. It's like it's been made, I don't know how to describe this, politically correct, I guess. I, they're just, it's not as um, forceful as what was going on in my father's generation. Why, why do you feel that the principles for public health would change? That is a very good question. I have no idea. And is this national? This isn't just this is Oklahoma. Like, no, no. This is like the, this is like, it's international. It's the, that's like the, the guiding principles of that group of people. I would say there's so many things in medicine that have changed. You know, it's not, it's not just that, you know, medicine and public health are, they're kind of, they're different, but they're like twin siblings of the same. They're the same kind of, they came from the same thing. Could you explain how they're different? What is the definition of the two? So medicine is the practice of caring for individual people. Mm-hmm. You know, like you come to see me, I deal with your blood pressure, diabetes, or whatever it may be. Public health is the practice of medicine for the entire community, whether that's Jackson or whether that's Wyoming or the United States. It's it's the whole it's at that point we have totally different priorities. You know, we have to get the most people to whatever goal we're trying to get, no matter what happens. That's it's it's a different mindset. They came from the same place, but and, and that was kind of a 20th century change in uh, the medical establishment, but they are completely different as far as their priorities, but they're supposed to cooperate with each other. Do you find that they are cooperating? I think here in Jackson, 
I've been extraordinarily impressed with how the medical community and the public health officials work together. In some places in the United States, that is just not happening. Or it's, you know, they're kind of in their own little orbits. They just kind of do their own thing. Mm-hmm. There's been several just very, I'm not going to go into political details, but there's been several examples in in the COVID year where the public officials um, did completely different things than the doctors did or the doctors were recommending and things didn't work out so well. So if you feel that this is just the first wave of what's happening with COVID, what do you think the future looks like and, and how do you feel we work our way, do we work our way out of this? So I, as I said before, we have two completely different examples of coronavirus epidemics and pandemics, one of which fizzled out and one of which didn't. We have no idea what's going to happen. Okay. But what I do think we need to be concentrating on are things that have been shown to really make people sick uh, with the with this particular coronavirus, and while we have this time, if 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 it is going to fizzle out and and then come back later, we really need to be focusing on getting um, you know getting as our people as ready as we can for whatever may happen. Um, so that doesn't just include vaccines; that is also things like uh, exercise. So let me put it this way. When we, there's, there was a study done about a month ago, I believe is when it was published that described in detail who, what, what were the characteristics of the, of the patients that did the worse with COVID virus. And we, we hear all the, all the time on the news, age, age, age. Well, age was like number six. Okay. Obesity, diabetes, that's out of control. And actually the third thing was vitamin D deficiency. Mm. Okay. Out of control, hypertension, coronary artery disease, and asthma. Those were the bit, that was the big list of things. So what I'm trying to say is we need to be working on people getting themselves in the best shape that they possibly can work on their diabetes. Do you think Uh, this is a wake up call to the world to be more aware of personal health instead of saying, well, just give me a pill for it that I need to work for it. Sometimes I think the world is trying to give us a wake up call and we need to, we need to start paying attention. Absolutely. And and I'm not trying to be insensitive because it is, um, devastating what people, families, communities have gone through during the past year. But is nature sending us a message? One could think that. I mean, I, I've had personal family members that have passed away from this um, all, you know, mul- multiple times this year. And it is very difficult to take our emotions out of that. And, uh, you know, we've had very, very sick, ill people here in Jackson that I've been taking care of. But yes, I mean, I think we need to really start working on how we're interacting with this planet and how we're interacting with our own bodies. I really do. Here's the thing about another, 
maybe another way to look at perspective. That's another thing that we seem to have a lot of problems with here in our country is perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, I think we're rapidly approaching now half a million deaths. I'm, I'm pretty sure that'll be in the next several weeks. Um, are you aware that, that the United Nations and the World Health Organization reported in 2020 that 2,600 people a day you know, across the world died from preventable diarrhea. We're, we're not talking. That's a lot of people, that's, diarrhea. That's a lot of people. We're not talking about a coronavirus that we don't know how to fix. I'm talking about these are people that could have been helped. Mm-hmm. 2,600 a day. Okay. And that, that had been, that's been going on for as long as I've been a physician. And when I say diarrhea, I'm, there's multiple, you know, cholera, and all, there's all kinds of infectious disease that do that, almost all of which can be fixed. But we just, we, we just don't do that. What do you think the medical writers and the historical writers are looking to say for our future generations to read? I I wish I knew. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's the thing about history is it's it is the past. Mm-hmm. We we don't know what is going to happen in the present or the immediate future. And I I do think when I when I look back in similar times in our in humanity's history as we're living through now that actually it hasn't been historians that have written you know, the best things about it has been people that do literature. And, um, you know, a, a very similar time w- was a famous first line of a book. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Hmm. Here we are. We're in the richest country in the world. And, you know, we've had this year, but, and it's been horrible. But there's been all kinds of places all over the world that have had this going on for decades. And I don't, I don't know what it's going to take for us to begin to really work on that. Maybe this will wake us up. Well, I, I hope um, something, <laughs> something happens because I certainly miss the opportunity for hugs and handshakes and social interaction. I, and I would say the same, you know, I think as a, as a primary care physician, the thing I've noticed this year, it, COVID has been bad and I've had multiple, I don't know, dozens, hundreds of patients that have had it, but has been dwarfed by the depression and anxiety and all the other things that have been going on this year. Mm-hmm. And I, I certainly hope we can get back to some semblance of normal, you know, soon. I don't know how long people are going to be able to handle it. Yeah. People stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Stay strong. For a farewell um, thought, what would you like to share with everybody today? So, first of all, I would, you know, it, it has been a ride since we've been here in Jackson. I mean, I came here in 2018 in in the fall and this, 
I was basically here about a year and three months and then this came out of nowhere, Hmm. you know, and, um, it is, it has been just a, an amazing experience to be here as a physician. I'm used to being in a big, um, city with all kinds of specialists and everything that we, you know, got used to right there. And I've had to learn a lot about myself and, uh, because you, you end up doing a lot of things here by yourself that you would normally, you know, have a have a specialist involved all the time. And it's been a wonderful experience in that regard. The people here in Jackson are, I mean, it's, it's just an amazing group of people that every time I, almost every time I walk in a room, there's just amazing stories and things that happen and, and they're so willing to share and it makes life very, very interesting. And that's, that's what I, I I can't tell you how many people I have that actually were historical people that were there, you know, when things happened. And it's very interesting. And that just, it's a little different than what was going on down in Dallas. Mm -hmm. I do miss Sophia and I, of course we miss there's restaurants and things that we miss, but we're having the time of our life up here. And I, you know, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to be here that uh, it doesn't present itself often in life to anyone. And here we are, we're loving every minute of it. Well, thank you for, for sharing. And mm-hmm. I am honored and thrilled that you and Sophia found our community. And I appreciate what you have been doing for our community during this tough time and for the medical community and for public health. And it's wonderful that we have somebody in this community who has such a desire and passion for medical history and and ethics to be able to bring light to what society and culture has seen in the past to ensure that we can make it through what we're experiencing at this moment in time. Absolutely. I would add one other thing. Please. Early on in this whole thing, I was involved in a group of about 20 or 30 physicians from all over the country. Um, And we met every week on, on a zoom or whatever. I, sometimes it was the phone, but um, it ranged all the way from the largest academic environments in the big cities to places like Jackson. And I think the people in this community, what, what, what was shared during those calls and things were what the preparations that were being done in the hospital. This was back in March and April. And the people in this community need to be aware that I think I was proud to know and proud to talk about the fact that this hospital here was one of the most well-prepared places in America. That is something to be said. I mean, I'm not going to mention the names of these other places, but you would know them. Mm -hmm. Trust me. And um, they were not prepared. Mm. I mean, I think we saw that. And so the, 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 People in this community should be very proud of their hospital system. That's part of the reason why I'm here, as I could tell that when I was interviewing. And so, I I, I just had I had to say that because it was um, it was startling how different it was compared to some of the other places in this country. 
we're very fortunate to have the resources, medical care and access to resources in this community. And it's very kind of you to, to bring that so, up. We have a lot of frontline people that have been putting themselves at risk and we all have to appreciate them. Well, thank you, Dr. Burnett, for joining today. I've learned an immense amount of history and I love history. I so love history and thank you for sharing the medical side of history and how it connects mm -hmm. to who we are and what life has brought to us in the past. And hopefully we can, I, I know I want to learn from that so I can make life better for my, for my family. And thank you for letting me be here. I had a great time. You're welcome. All right. Have a great day. You too. To learn more about Dr. Burnett and medical history, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com, episode number 131. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, who keeps this podcast going each week. My wife, Laura, my boys, Lewis and William, my editor and marketing director, Michael Morey. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.